Chapter 9 of Treve by Albert Payson Terhune. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by J. Schmidt. Chapter 9 His Mate. When Treve saved Chris Hibben from a peculiarly hideous death under the hoofs of Chris's own triple bar steers, he did more to patch up a truce between the Dos Hermanos and the Triple Bar outfits than could a score of peace conferences. From the beginning, throughout the West, sheepmen and cattlemen have been mortal enemies. Seldom has this eternal feud blazed hotter than between Chris Hibbins' cattle ranch and the nearby Dos Hermanos sheep ranch of Joel Fenno and Roy Smack. Ever there had been a grim understanding that a sheep or sheep dog straying over the line into the triple bar range was a sheep or sheep dog killed. More than once this understanding had been justified. Then, too, a year before, a bunch of six yearling beef cattle had strayed through a fence gap and down the coulee into number six camp of the Dos Hermanos. There, all trace of them was wiped out, except that Tony and the other Dos Hermanos herdsmen varied their dreary fare of tinned goods and tough mutton by a prolonged fresh beef debauch. Then had come the day when Treve unwittingly played the role of Dove of Peace by turning a cattle stampede and saving the dismounted hibbon from being trampled into the next world after which Chris gave terse command to his cowboys that the pesky Dos Hermanos sheep could come along and chew the barbs off the wire of the triple bar home corral if they chose to, and if need be, they were to be escorted back in safety and in cotton wool. Nor did Hibben stop there. From that one briefly terrific moment of the turn stampede, he had seen what a collie could accomplish with cattle. He saw more. He saw that two or three well-trained collies could do the work of a dozen cowboys. Yes, and they could and would do it on board wages and without threats of going on strike or complaints about the grub. Nor would they vanish on payday and show up a week later with delirium tremens. It would be a tremendous saving. Anyhow, the experiment was worth trying. It was not Hibben's custom to do anything rashly. Thus, he planned to begin in a small way by the purchase of a single collie. If that first dog should do the work satisfactorily, it would be time to buy more. With this in view, he surprised the Dos Hermanos partners one evening by riding across to their ranch house. Mac and Fenno were sitting on the handkerchief-sized porch, smoking a before-bedtime pipe. At Royce's feet lay Treve. On sound of Hibben's approach, the big collie was awake and alert. Down the path he dashed, to meet and, if need be, stop the intruder. Then, recognizing the man he had rescued, the collie drew aside and let Chris proceed up the path to the porch. Evening, said Hibben, stiffly uncertain of his welcome. Evening, replied Mac with cold civility, while old Joel Fenno sat still and scowled mute query. 
Have you eaten? went on Royce in the time-honored local phrase of hospitality. Yep, said Chris, adding, Not cod mutton, neither. He caught himself up, belatedly recalling that he was at peace with these sheepmen, and he hurried on to ask, Will you boys set a price on that collie of yours? Nope, I'm not joshing. I don't know how such critters run in price, but I've got a couple of hundred dollars in my jeans here, and I'll swap for him. Tree's not for sale, was Royce Max curt retort. We told you that the day he kept your steers out of your hair. He... Hold on, purred Joel, smitten with one of his rare and beautiful ideas. Hold on, friend Hibben. Treevy ain't for sale, just like my partner says. Not that he's worth any man's money, not even a cattleman's. But we've got kind of used to his worthless ways, and we aim to keep him. But if you're honing for a collie, I can tell you where to get one, all as supposing you're willing to pay fair for a high-grade article. I can give you the address of the feller who used to own Treve. That's good enough for me, returned Chris. The feller that bred this dog of yours sure knew how to breed the best. I'll hand him that much. And it's the best I want. Who is he, and where does he hang out? Wait, said Finno, with amazing politeness, as he heaved his rheumatic frame up from his chair and pottered away into the house. I've got his address in here. I'll write it down for you. With as near an approach to a grin as his surly leathern mask could achieve, he made his way to his own cubbyhole room. There he dug out the battered gray catalog of the Dos Hermanos dog show to which he had taken Treve. Riffling his pages, he came to the list of exhibitors' names at the back. One of these he jotted down with a pencil stump on a dirty envelope and returned with it to the porch. The name he had found and scribbled was Fraser Colt. After it, he had copied the man's address from the catalog. It seemed to Joel the acme of refined humor to steer this once hostile cowpuncher up against the man of all others who seemed most likely to cheat him. Judging from his own experience with Colt, he felt reasonably certain the dog breeder could be relied on to whipsaw any trusting customer, especially when that customer was so far distant as to make it necessary to buy sight unseen. Roy Smack gave a low whistle of amaze as Fenno showed the name and address to him on the way across the porch to hand it to Hibben. Then Mac choked back a half-born expostulation. He remembered the loss of sheep after sheep at the hands of the triple bar outfit. He saw no reason to spoil his partner's joke. A week later, in response to a letter of inquiry, Chris received word from Fraser Colt that the latter had no full-grown and trained cattle herding collies in stock just then, but that he had an unusually promising thoroughbred female collie pup which could readily be taught to work cattle since both her parents had been natural cattle workers. As Mr. Fraser Colt was closing out his kennels and moving east, 
Mr. C. Hibben was at liberty to avail himself of this really remarkable chance for a bargain by purchasing the puppy in question, Sirenhaven Nelly, at the ridiculously low price of $75, payable in advance. If this generous proposition interested Mr. C. Hibben, would Mr. C. Hibben kindly forward his check, certified, for the above sum, along with shipping directions. If, on the contrary, Mr. C. Hibben was a mere shopper or was inclined to haggle, this letter required no answer. Now, Chris Hibben could no more have been cheated or overcharged on a consignment of beef cattle than could a bank cashier be hoaxed by a leaden half-dollar. But, on the subject of dogs, he was woefully ignorant. Moreover, there was a curtly self-assured and business-like tang to the letter, which impressed him. Besides, hadn't the Dos Hermanos outfit a wonder dog, acquired from the same man? Surely it was worth the gamble. Chris sent the certified check as soon as he could get it from the Santa Carlotta Bank. A week later arrived a matchwood crate containing the collie pup. Hibben himself motored across to Santa Carlotta to bring home his purchase. His homeward road led past the Dos Hermanos ranch. He saw the two partners washing up on the steps, preparatory to supper. Beside them stood Treve, mildly tired and more than mildly hungry after a long day on the range. Chris turned in at the gate and hailed Fenno and Mac, pointing with pride to the crate. Oh, you got her, eh? said Joel with much interest. I'll come out and have a look at the pup. Fraser Colt sure knows a collie. Pretty near as intimate as a vivisector is due to know the smell of brimstone. This dog will be a treat to see. I'll save you the trouble of coming out here, called back Hibben, lifting the crate and its light burden out of the truck. I'll fetch her up there, onto your stoop. I haven't even had a chance to look at her yet. We'll have an inspection, B. I want your opinion of her. As he talked, he was carrying the crate along the path. Joel astounded Royce Mack by going out to meet him and by carrying one end of the box up the steps. Joel was not wont to lend an unasked hand. On the porch floor, the crate was set. Hibben undid its crazy catch and opened its door. Slowly, uncertainly, a half-grown collie pup stepped out and stood before them. Hibben nodded appreciatively. He was no dog judge, but he could see that this was a really handsome puppy. Her coat was dense and long. It was a rich mahogany in hue, save for the snowy chest and paws and tail tip. An expert might have found the pretty head too broad and the ears too large and low for show purposes, or even for a show brood matron's career. But the newcomer was decidedly good-looking. She seemed not only intelligent, but strong. Joel puckered his forehead. The unaccustomed smirk fled from his leathern face. The joke was turning out to be no joke at all. This strikingly handsome youngster appeared to be well worth $75. 
Mac was loud in his praise, but like Fenno, he could not reconcile the pup's excellent value with his own theories of cult. Yep, pursued Hibben. That's Siren Haven Nellie, a beauty, ain't she? I'm sure you're debtor for sicking me onto that colt chap. I wish now I'd ordered a couple more of them. Treve had watched with keen interest the opening of the crate. Now he came forward eagerly and touched noses with the bewildered pup. His plume tail was wagging in friendly welcome. He won't bite Nellie, will he? asked Hibben, a trifle anxiously. No, answered Royce Mack. Man is about the only animal that mistreats the female of his race. Treve's making friends with her. See, Joel? He's making more friends with her than ever he's made with any of the range collies. He acts like he knew she was helpless and that he had to protect her. He... Mac broke off in his lecture. The new puppy had begun to move about on the porch with a queer wariness. Now, coming to its edge, she did not observe that there was a two-foot drop to the yard below, and she was stepping out into space when a quick intervention of Treve's shaggy shoulder turned her back to confused safety. "'Hold on!' exclaimed Joel suddenly. "'I knew there was a catch in it somewheres.' And her eyes have a funny look, too. Watch me. He struck a match and held it scarcely an inch from the puppy's wide eyes, twitching the flame back and forth in the windless air, so close to her unflinching pupils that the lashes were all but singed. Nellie did not so much as blink. Blind, diagnosed Joel with grim satisfaction. Stone blind. I knew there was sussin' queer. There was bound to be. Been blind always, most likely, if she's only six months old. Hibben, you're stung all the way across the board. Your searin' haven Nellie couldn't ever be learned to hurt anything without it was the three blind mice a feller writ the song about. You're seventy-five dollars in the hole. The poor blind pup seemed to sense the ridicule in his tone. She shrank back a little in her groping approach toward the speaker. Instantly, Treve licked her face reassuringly, as though he were comforting a scared child. The big dog had known instinctively that his newcomer was afflicted and unable to look after herself and his great heart had gone out to her in loving protectiveness. Now, before Joel had fairly stopped speaking, the sensitive Nellie shrank even more appealingly against Treve's shaggy side, for Chris Hibben was waking the echoes with a salvo of profanity that shook the house. Fenno listened with real interest to the outburst, he had the air of one who is acquiring many new and valuable words. As Chris paused for breath, Joel said sanctimoniously to Treve, Best run indoors, Treve. You're learning language that won't do you no real good. You've been brought up by a couple of God-fearing sheepmen. This blasphemous cattle talk is new to you. Best run away till he... 
A sharp gesture from Hibben interrupted him. The cattleman whipped out his heavy pistol and leveled it at the hapless little female collie as she crouched, shivering and frightened, before him. Nellie had had bruisingly terrible experience with Fraser Colt's brutal rages. To her, the sound of an angry voice meant a fast ensuing kick, a kick her blind eyes could not tell her how to avoid. Treve, too, understood Chris Hibben's volley of fury, and he understood the deadly gesture which was its climax. In an instant, he was ready for what might follow. Stand clear, bawled Hibben, dropping his pistol muzzle to cover the quivering Nellie's head. You boys told me into getting this cur. Now you boys can have the job of burying her and of mopping up your stoop. Stand clear, I said, and haul Treve out of the way unless you want me to drill him too. For the tawny gold collie had stepped quietly between Chris and the puppy. Steadfastly, his mighty body guarding the coward little Nellie, he was gazing at the furious cattleman. Hibben took a stride nearer his victim. With his free hand and one booted foot, he thrust Treve sharply from between him and Nellie, leveling the pistol afresh as he did so. Now, it was not on the free list to lay menacing hands upon Treve, to say nothing of booting him. The thing had never before been done. Added to his natural resentment was his keen urge to save Nellie from the fate he foretold in Hibben's glance and in the leveled pistol. Once before had he seen the man fire that pistol, and he had seen a dos hermanos sheep fall dead from its bullet. Before Chris could shoot, a furry thunderbolt launched itself on him, lethal as a flung spear, silent with concentrated wrath. Under that fierce impact, the unprepared Hibben reeled back, his finger spasmodically pressing the trigger as he threw both arms up to shield his menaced throat. The bullet rent a splintering hole in the porch roof. The marksman, in his staggering retreat, slipped off the edge of the top step and bumped backward to earth with a thud that knocked the breath out of him. Scarce had his lean shoulders touched ground when Treve was on him, ravening for his throat. Mac watched, dumbfounded. Joel, quicker-witted, yelled to the dog. Reluctantly, Treve quitted his prey, and in a bound was back at Joel's side, while Royce Mac, with profuse apologies, was helping the sputteringly infuriated Hibben to his feet. Joel surreptitiously picked up the fallen pistol from the floor and pocketed it. Then he turned to look at Treve, who had left his side and had moved across to Nellie. The puppy, frightened out of all self-control, had bolted. Her blundering rush had brought her up against the house door with a force that knocked her down. Now, shaking all over and moaning softly, she crouched with her head hidden in the angle of porch and door. Above her stood Treve his eyes fixed on Hibben in cold menace. 
The big dog knew well that it was not permissible to attack a human, least of all a human who was the guest of his two masters. Perhaps swift death might be the punishment for his deed, but he did not falter. His body shielding the wretched puppy, he stood there, tensely ready for Hibben's next assault. Joel Fenno read the dog's purpose and his thoughts as he might have read those of a fellow man. The collie was playing with possible death to guard something that could not defend itself. Fenno's gnarled old heart gave a queer twist. Treevy, he breathed under cover of Hibben's loudly truculent return to the porch. At sound of Joel's voice, Treve shifted his stern gaze from Chris to the old man, and in the collie's sorrowful dark eyes now was an agony of appeal. So might the eyes of a mother be raised to the doctor who alone could save her sick child. Joel Fenno's thin lips set tightly. His old eyes were slits. He was about to do the foolishest thing of his career. The saner half of him told him so and reviled him scathingly for it. But sanity went by the board in face of that awful pleading in his beloved dog's eyes. Hold on, friend, he interposed as the cursing Hibben peered murderously about the floor for his lost pistol. You'll stop tempting Providence to swat this shack with lightning as a punishment for that string of hellfire words you're bellerin', and you'll listen to me. You paid $75 for this poor sick puppy you're trying to kill. Well, I'm buying her offin' you for $75. Get that? I'm buying her. Now shut up and stand quiet-like while I traipse indoors and get the cash for you. I'm doing this out of my own pocket, he snarled at the thunderstruck Royce. Not out of the partnership funds. Josh me all you like. I don't care a hoot for your blatting. I've, I've took a sort of fancy to the pup. Five minutes later, Hibben was driving away, grumbling but appeased. Joel, awkward and shamefaced, was guiding Nellie's questing nose to a saucer of bread and milk. Royce Mack was looking on, bereft of speech and incredulous. Treve, too, was looking on a glint of utter contentment in his deep-set eyes. Joel addressed his blank-faced partner glumly. Now I suppose you'll be making my life rotten by hectoring me about this. Well, I done it to show you there can be another dog on this ranch as worthless as your miserable treve. At that, I doubt if she's as worthless as what he is. She ain't lived so long on the same ranch with you followed the first peaceful, not to say beautifully happy time that Nellie had ever known. From the moment Fraser Colt had discovered her blindness, and thus her absolute uselessness, she had been kicked and maltreated and made to feel that her only use in life was to serve as a vent for her breeder's ill temper. Colt had continued to feed and lodge her, only in the well-founded hope of cheating someone into buying her, he and his kennels had been permanently disqualified by the American Kennel Club 
four crooked dealings. So, as he was forced to go out of the dog business anyway, he had no fear of reprisal in selling the blind puppy to some novice. Under decent treatment now, Nellie's brain and spirits bloomed forth, swift to learn and coming from a breed that has more than normal intelligence, her progress was amazing. Ever beside her, to fend off trouble and to show her the way, was Treve. With unfailing patience, Treve watched over her and trained her. Joel looked on with secret admiration and patiently contributed his own quota to the wise training. Nellie could never hope to see. But with almost miraculous intuition, she learned to find her way about. A collie's ears and nose are more to him than are his eyes. Nellie's absence of sight intensified tenfold her power of scent and of hearing. She could track either of the partners for miles, nose to earth. Nearly always forewarned in some occult manner to avoid obstacles in her path. She was even, in a small way, of help to Treve in rounding up sheep, and ever that strange instinct, a sort of sixth sense, developed more and more as her brain and experience developed. Around the house, she was the sweetest and most loving of pets, though her real adoration and slavish worship were lavished on Treve alone. She was his shadow. And to her he accorded a tender friendliness which he had refrained haughtily from bestowing on the splay-footed little black range collies. It was nearly six months after the coming of Nellie that the blizzard struck the Dos Hermanos region. In that southerly and semi-arid stretch, snow was a rarity. Heavy snows were practically unknown in the lowlands. Storms, which whitened the Dos Hermanos peaks and slopes, fell usually as rain in the valley. But now, in mid-February, came a genuine blizzard. It caught the ranch totally by surprise. The various bunches of sheep were grazing wide, as usual at that rain-flecked time of year. Out of a softly blue sky came a softer grayish haze. Two hours later, the blizzard was roaring in full spectacular fury. Every man and every dog was pressed into service. Floundering knee-deep through drifts, the partners and their herdsmen and Sing Li, the new Chinese cook, sought puffingly to drive the scattered and snow-whipped sheep to places of shelter. The dogs half-submerged in the flowery snow, staggered and fought their way in the teeth of the blast and the stabbing cold. Their pads were tight-packed with painful snow lumps. There was no time to stop and gnaw these torments out. The dogs drove on, limping, unresting. It was a madly busy three or four hours. Men and dogs alike were blinded by the whirling tons of snow, there was no such thing as following a scent with any accuracy through that smother, nor could a voice be heard fifty feet away in the screech of the gale. Spent, dizzy, numb, the partners came back at last to their snow-piled home. The storm had ceased as suddenly as it had begun, 
Already, a watery sunshine was beginning to glisten on the ocean of snow that spread everywhere. All safe except the bunch on Six Range, reported Royce breathlessly as he and Fenno met near the gate. It was touch and go with the whole lot, but those got tangled up somehow in the blizzard and bolted. Treve and I worked for two hours to find them, but it was no good. They've stampeded over the rock wall of the coulee or else over the cliff into the river. Either way, they're goners. In a storm like that, they... He stopped short. The dazzling white snow around the house was darkened by a shifting and huddling mass of dirty gray. The partners squinted their snow-blurred eyes to see what the phenomenon might mean. There, encircling the house and pressing against it for warmth in a world of pitiless cold, swarmed something like three hundred sheep. On the porch, worn out and panting, her pink tongue lolling, slumped. Sirenhaven Nellie. Nellie had followed Treve, as ever, into the welter of the blizzard in pursuit of the stampeded number six flock. Presently she had caught the scent on her own account and had held it. When Treve had been lured aside in quest of a handful of strays that had turned back from the main stampede, Nellie had plodded heavily on. The scent of the main body of sheep had by this time become too badly obliterated by snow swirl and crosswinds for even Treve to pick it up. He could not scent Nellie's own tracks through that hurricane of whizzing snow, which blotted out each footstep as fast as it was made. But to Nellie, the elusive scent was still strong enough for her preternaturally keen nose to follow it, more or less correctly. When this was at times impossible, her uncanny instinct, the instinct of the trained blind, carried her on. Slowly, wearily, yet unfalteringly, she kept up the quest. She came staggeringly upon the sheep at last as they wavered on the precipice edge of the coulee, as they waited for some leader to be insane enough to fling himself over the brink so that they might follow. Nellie ran nimbly along the slippery cliff edge, forcing them back with bark and nip, just as one panicky weather was gathering himself for the downward leap. Back she drove them, huddled and bleating and milling, rounding up the exhausted beasts and heading them away from the coulee. She had no faintest idea where they belonged or whither to guide them, all she knew was that she was sick and suffering and that she stood in dire need of getting home. Her hour was close upon her. So homeward she drove the flock, unaware that she had achieved a bit of tracking that no normal-eyed sheepdog could have hoped to copy. Next morning, Chris Hibben started for Santa Carlotta to direct the unloading of freight for the triple bar. The snow was too deep for a car to get through it, so Hibben rode his strongest cow pony, a pony that made heavy enough going of it through the drifts. As Chris neared the Dos Hermanos ranch house, a man came running out of the kitchen and hailed him excitedly. The man was Joel Fenno. Never before had Hibben seen the old chap excited. 
Fearing something might be amiss in the house, the rider dismounted, tossed the bridle over his pony's head, and waded up the walk. "'What's wrong?' he demanded as he came face to face with Joel. "'Nothing's wrong,' Fenno assured him, his mouth twisted in an effort to grin. "'Everything's grand, and everything includes a bunch of three hundred sheep that Nellie yanked out in the blizzard yesterday for us. That dog sure paid her board yesterday. She—' "'Say,' interposed Chris, none too graciously, "'did you stop me when I was in a hurry just to tell me Nellie had been wasting her time by rounding up a bunch of mangy sheep?' I'm gladder than ever that I sold her to you if that's all she's fit for. Now, if it had been a bunch of good cattle, she's fit for something else, returned Fenno. That wa'n't why I high-signed you. I wanted to show you the something else she's fit for. Come on in. He led the way into the kitchen. There, behind the stove, was a big box, half full of soft rags. In the box lay Sirenhaven Nellie, reclining comfortably on her side. At sound of Joel's step, her tail gave a lazy wag or two by way of welcome. But at sound and scent of the stranger behind him, her tail ceased to wave and her lip curled in menace, for Nellie was on guard again. This time she was not guarding silly sheep. She was guarding eight squirming, gray-browned atoms that nuzzled close against her furry body. The baby collies were no larger than plump rats, but the way they wriggled and drank proved them none the worse for their mother's gallant exploits of the preceding day. At a gentle word from Royce Mack, the collie mother dropped her tired head back on the bed of rags and suffered the outsider to draw near and gaze. Hibben stood, looking curiously at the snuggling family in the box. Treve crossed the kitchen and stood beside Mac, his head on one side, gazing down at his babies. It was Joel who broke the silence. Eight of them, he proclaimed. And they take after their ma, for every one of them is as blind as a cowman's intellects. But in another nine days, the whole eight of them is due to get their eyes wide open. That's when they'll commence to take after their pa and be a credit to a sheep ranch. How many of them do you want us to save out for you at seventy-five dollars per? End of chapter nine.